What's up, fans of The Expanse? Today we're talking about episode four, Godspeed, and we have a special guest. Stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Belters, Earthers, and Martians alike, welcome to The Expanse After Show. My name is Carrie Lane. You can find me online at Carrie D. Lane. That's K-A-R-I-D-L-A-N-E. And uh, those of you watching us live, thank you so much for already chatting up in the chat. Feel free to reach out during the show and, you know, comments on the episode. And if you're watching this later, comment down below. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Um, Maria couldn't make it today, but she'll be back next week. But I have a very special guest. I have Narain Shankar, who is the executive producer and showrunner for The Expanse. Welcome, welcome, sir. Hello, hello. And how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm uh, in the middle of finishing up the the latter half of the season. We just finished spotting music on episode 12, actually, and we've been finished with our visual effects side of things through, whoa, I think episode 9 at this point. So, so we're, um, yeah, we're rolling along. Now, um, how did you get involved with this particular title, The Expanse? Like, what drew you to this, and how did you find out about it? Um, well, I, I had been, in, in my, the early part of my career, I did a lot of science fiction. I, my first show was Star Trek Next Generation, and I loved science fiction my whole life, and um, as I started writing in uh, in the entertainment business, I got uh, I kind of moved away from it for a while. I, I was running the show uh, CSI, the original CSI crime scene investigation, uh, for many years um, with uh, with Carol Mendelson, and um, and I just kind of wandered away. So after I left CSI, I really wanted to um, to get back into into sci-fi and into genre, and uh, I was looking around for projects and my agents. Um, sent me the script to the expanse that was um, <clears throat> and I had uh, I mean I'll be, be very honest it's like for a long time um, you know I would get scripts from the sci-fi channel and I was not really thrilled with the, the kind of material they've been developing and working on for a lot of years with the exception of Battlestar Galactica which I thought was a masterpiece mm-hmm. and um, like for years they had not done anything like that show and so my agent sent me the script they said it's on sci-fi I I literally I sent it to trash. I didn't even read the script. And then like three <laughs> weeks later, my agent... <laughs> that's that's um, About three weeks later, my agent said, listen, please, just take a look at the script. It's different. And this time, okay, I, I looked at the email. I scrolled to the bottom. saw that the script had been written by Mark Fergus and Hawk Osby, who, who had written the movie Children of Men, which I think was a brilliant, brilliant movie and a brilliant adaptation. And I wasn't familiar with the... With the novel, um, but that's what made me want to read it. And and when I read it, I was like, "Wow, this is a very different. This is a very different kind of a project for sci-fi." And and it was adult, and it was, it was and I said, "Okay, let, let me let me go in and meet." Said, okay, I'm going to take my cat and take her outside. Hang on, that's a second. all right. She's very anxious. Hold on. Uh, so no worries uh, for those of you watching us live. If you have any questions, oh, <laughs> cute kitty. If you guys have any questions, feel free to uh, write them in the YouTube um, live chat, oh. and then I will relay your questions. I okay, just, now we're back. No um, worries. I was just yeah, letting so our people know that if they have any questions, I will be passing them on to you. Um, okay. But yes, continue. Um, uh, so you saw the author, uh, or who wrote the episode, and then uh, that it was based on a novel. 
Yeah, right. And so, um, so once I read the script, I said, yeah, absolutely, let me meet with these people. And uh, uh, I came in, I met uh, at Alcon Television, which is our studio. Um, and I met with Mark, and Hawk was on the phone, and uh, Sharon Hall, who's the president of Alcon that I've worked with before. And we just really hit it off. And, um, it, you know, it was a chance to do a science fiction show in a way that I don't think science fiction had been done maybe ever on television. Um, and I really, I, I, I found the book, you know, it just had tremendous possibilities. Um, and it was a very, you know, for lack of a, maybe, I mean, as realistic as drama could maybe be mm -hmm. um, about life in space. And I thought it was a, a great opportunity to make, um, to make space and living in space a character in a show in a way that it hadn't been done before. And so everybody hit it off and things went, you know, we all got along and the funniest part about it was after I'd accepted the job, Sharon Hall said to me, she goes, um, and by the way, the writers of the book are going to be in your writing room. And I was, I was <laughs> like, you sure that's a really good idea? <laughs> because sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes authors can be very precious, and they're not ready to have their material adapted to a different medium. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, but in this case, you know, Sharon was like, just, just check it out. These guys are great. And, and I met Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham, who are collectively James S.A. Corey, and, um, and found them immediately open, willing to change things, understanding that, that you know, the way to tell the story in novels very different than the way you might want to be able to tell it in um, in television. And and um, what ultimately ended up happening is having them around enabled us to to do I think a really interesting adaptation of the work that is very true to the source material while still being different from it. Um, and, Absolutely, and it's been a tremendously enjoyable process throughout working with these guys and, and the whole team. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been. I read the. I didn't read the book for season one, uh, but going into season two, I did. So I'm currently uh, maybe a quarter or so the way into Caliban's War, and uh, yeah, I think you and the writers and everyone involved has done a tremendous job uh, adapting the book with keeping true to source material, but making it different enough, but still, you know, not too out of the realm of possibility. Right, definitely. Uh, and, um, yeah. mm -hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I said someone in the chat room, yeah. Andrew asked, how many ship slash station sets are there now? Do you know <laughs> you a number? Mean, the ones that we haven't blown up yet? Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that are in existence, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's sort of our stock and trade is we, we make these amazing looking sets and then we blow them up in short order. Um, Right now, uh, in season, at the end of season two, we have, you know, obviously we have the Rossi, mm -hmm. we have Tycho, um, there's mm, a few assorted Martian ships. Um, if you're talking about physically what's left, uh, is, is that the question in terms of like physical production or in the story? I, guess, um, I, guess maybe I think that's they a, mean that's the physically they're still. Physically on set, we have yeah, we have Tycho, we have Ganymede Station, we have the Rossi, we have some Martian ships, um, and that's it. Good uh, handful. The third book. In the, uh, what was that? Just a little handful. Yeah. Um, the third book in the series is much more ship bound mm. than um, 
than the first two. The first two are a little bit more station bound, I would say. Oh, okay, cool. I look forward to that. I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. Um, oh, the, uh, Andrew in the chat added to that saying whether they've been blown up or not would have been too spoilery, so they didn't ask that specifically. Okay, I'm sorry. I think, I mean, is it okay to say that season one is, is fair game? In terms yeah, of yeah. On spoilery, I'll, I'll be very careful about season two, I will. But season one is um, feels like it should be, I should be able to talk a little bit about it. And then um, Corey in the chat says, I really enjoy watching The Expanse. And uh, Noreen, uh, Noreen Shankar, thanks for making it! Exclamation point. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for watching it. It's, um, it's, it's really, the fan response has been amazing. And, and people really do seem to embrace it when they, when they find it. So just want more people to find it. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the episode Godspeed and feel free to chime in on any behind the scenes information that you can uh, shed light on. Sure. Uh, uh, so in the beginning, we have um, the, a new stealth ship and uh, Avasarala is trying to figure out what's going on and she's hanging out with Aaron Wright and they figure out that the stealth ship, all the stealth ships have been hi- oh the sorry the crew on that stealth ship had been hired by Protogen, which worked which is a company uh, by Mao and thirteen bodies on board, but yeah, she's now, trying to piece it together. Remember, just to break in for a second, yeah. it's not a new stealth, it's not a new stealth ship. That's the stealth ship that they blew up at the end of episode two. Ah, that, yes, okay. That's the stealth ship that the Rossi was engaged with and um, over the unknown spin station at the end of the season premiere. And so, like good belters, they've never thrown anything away. And uh, so Fred Johnson figures out a use for it. Nice. Good on the refresher. Uh, oh, we do have an interesting question in the chat room. Pamela says, was there a big debate over sound in space, speaking of when the ships kick on their engines? There was, actually. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we like to try to do, and as, as we've talked about even today, is... Um, scientific accuracy that we've embraced on the show and, and one of those things you know sound comes right up mm-hmm. and um other you know some shows have taken i think galactica they took they took the approach of like maybe muffling sound in space a little okay. bit so things were a little bit quieter um we tried that we tried a number of things early on in season one we contact microphones to capture like you know inside the space suits you capture impacts and mm. and we were um you know Technically accurate renderings of sound in space, mm-hmm. and then we put it up on stage. And we listened to it; it sounded completely shitty and boring. <laughs> and it was it was like you would have people walking around on a set, and I mean, uh, in, and the footsteps would sound like doom, 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 doom. it was, and it was mm. almost comical. So a scene that was supposed to scare you would kind of make you laugh. And so what ended up happening is, we we you know people moving inside an empty derelict ship the dramatic intention is to scare you so so the sounds we decided to take a little poetic license with and make the sound metallic more more um you know atmospheric and spooky as it were to, to actually help propel the drama and that ultimately extended to um uh the exterior space sequences and the battles where you actually, you know, when things are moving past you and they're big objects moving extremely fast with extremely powerful engines, the sounds convey that. Mm. Um, and, and it's not obviously technically correct. It's obviously not scientifically accurate. But 
I'm, this is a story told in the entertainment industry, but there, it, it's a, apocryphal. But enough people have said it, so that maybe now it's true. Um, it's on this movie, Journey to the Center of the Earth in the 50s. It was made in the 50s with James Mason and Pat Boone. Mm-hmm. The director, it's, it's an adaptation of the Jules Verne work. The director, apparently they're shooting and it's in, in, like in the middle of the planet and they're in this cave kind of thing and suddenly the director starts flipping out and he goes oh my god we're inside the planet there's no sun where's the light coming from and he's having a total <laughs> and the cinematographer goes where's the light coming the cinematographer says same place as the music mm. and, and that, that is that really does sum it up it's like if the scene needs to scare you then the sounds need to scare you too it's it's half of your perceptual field when you're actually experiencing drama to mm-hmm. throw that away or to try to make it small just in the interest of scientific accuracy you give up so much drama and so um, we just took the dramatic license the sounds in space are big they're big and big and big and um, and occasionally we use things like if something's exploding far away and you're and you're not there you don't hear the explosion across space right we do we do do that too, but it's done to dramatic effect, and that's really the guide. Yeah, and then uh, The Expanse has been receiving a lot of critical acclaim of being very scientific, though, so I think you're allowed some artistic license then. Exactly. I mean, and, and again, I think it's it's interesting that you're saying, yeah, you're right. It's like people say, oh, my God, you guys are so accurate. And really look at it carefully. Sometimes we're not, but... We feel like we're accurate, and that I think is is really the important thing: is that things feel real, things mm-hmm. feel like they're moving real, and and to the extent that's possible, we try to make it accurate. And when we can't, we just try to make sure that we're honoring the dramatic intention of the scene. Nice. Uh, then we jump over to our regular crew of Holden, Johnson, and Miller, and they are discussing their plan that they're going to plant explosives on Eros and uh, use the Navu to push Eros into the sun which is a rather dramatic plan. Maybe yes. And I, uh, you and I have read it, so we know what happens. But um, <laughs> when uh, that happened, that was, I, I think people probably were like, wait, you're going to do what plan? Because exactly like Holden like, freaks out going, um, I don't think this is a good plan, but all right, I guess it's something that we can do. Um, it's a pretty, a pretty crazy moment, even the book. I remember when I was reading it, I was like, it can't be really <laughs> this is insane yes i mean because this is like using a very big object to slam into a, a much much bigger object to, to hurdle it into a gigantic object it's 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 pretty bananas um and uh you know stealing a temple to do it essentially it's it's really it's just one of those crazy moments and and what's been nice to see in the reaction to the episode is that as gigantic and and on the verge of outlandish as, as everything seems, it feels like people are are feeling, you know, that we, we pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it does feel kind of real. Um, kind of off story track, but actually, a really interesting question. Um, uh, Sean Boy asks: Is there anything you can share, season planning, release time, etc., as a result of Netflix deal, like different time of the year or episode count, etc.? As a result of the Netflix deal, um, hmm. well, the, the way it works for us is we premiere on Sci-Fi domestically mm-hmm. and then stream on Amazon uh, Prime in the United States, and then internationally we're 
Netflix original series throughout the rest of the world. Mm. Um, so um, I'm not 100% sure I understand the intention here. Uh, they're asking for, like, timing for season two? Is that... Maybe so- more for, like, um, how... Would you be releasing season two online the same way season one did? I mean, how you just said. It'd be Amazon Prime uh, and then Netflix uh, and such. As far as I know, that is the plan. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be exactly the same. The only thing I don't know is the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're going to go live on Amazon Prime and when we're going to go live on Netflix. I think that this past year, the show actually became available on Netflix International before it started on Amazon Prime streaming. So, um, but yeah, I don't have any dates. As soon as we do, we'll, we'll certainly share them with everybody. Uh, someone else in the chat chimed in. Well, does that mean maybe there might be more episodes then for like future seasons? Oh, oh more episodes for season two. Um, I, don't, I don't think that that's actually, uh, nothing like that has been planned. Now, there's any number of conversations that we have um, right, which could change that, uh, but nothing, nothing concrete. Okay, uh, and certainly, like what you'll be seeing in season two on on all of those platforms, the thirteen episodes that we have on SciFi. Yeah, well, you guys need to be watching this live on SciFi, and if you're watching this show now, you probably are watching it live on SciFi because you don't want to miss out. Yes, I do. That's that. I absolutely, absolutely, and that's by the way, that's the best way to get more episodes. Ultimately, is you know you got to keep you know, these shows are you know our first window is on is on essentially mm. a broadcast network. Um, those are the guys who you know they sell they sell ads, and mm-hmm. so they need viewers, and um, and you know that's that's just the, the their business model. And um, if we were you know premiering on a Netflix or an Amazon, that would be a different kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, so by all means, watch it live. There you go. Tell your friends. Go watch it live. Catch up and join live. Um, then the but the Rosi and the crew agree to the plan, and I like Johnson's quote. Well, somebody's got to act, and it's the right um, it's the right thing to do. Pretty much like, oh no, what are the Mormons gonna think? But you know, we're saving the galaxy. Right. The Mormons are gonna be pissed. That that line book, um, and it's uh, <laughs> I think it was Holden in the book. Holden in the book or Fred in the book? I'm not sure, but we gave it to Naomi. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is interesting watching it after reading it because I myself have like had my moments. I'm like, wait, how did it exactly happen? But that kind of is a testament to the show itself because then you're not like, oh no, that feels so wrong. You're just like, oh wait, both versions totally work. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, that's good to hear. Yes. Uh, then we have the oh yes, I love the conversation with Vasarala. Uh, Mao and Aaron Wright and how Aaron Wright is absolutely leading Mao in the questions like, hey buddy, this is what we're doing, right? <laughs> and she's not dumb. She picked up on that. She did. It was That was a fun scene because it's she, she finally gets to stick, you know, stick Aaron Wright a little mm-hmm. Whole game, and she's she's basically fucking with them both, and just trying to get them on, um, you know, get them accountable, and drag yes. them into the light, and put both of them in a very tough position. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a fun it's a fun. Game. 
And then uh, we have, yes, how they get the, it was cute, or not cute, sorry, amusing how they get all the Mormons off the ship. They're like, yeah, we have a radiation leak. Um, and how Miller goes, <laughs> yeah, it's part of God's plan. So that was a fun little wrap-up on that That's character. Uh, and then we, uh, pardon? Oh, I'm sorry. I, excuse me again. The no, it's all right. Hang on a second. All right. This, one sec. And then um, thank you so much for chiming in with the chat. And uh, make sure to rate, like, and subscribe to AfterBuzz. You know, give the video a thumbs up. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, give it five stars. Uh, leave a comment review. Let us know what you think of the show and what are your predictions, too. And for those of you like me reading it, please, no spoilers. we got to contain ourselves. And the show kind of changes it up a little bit, so we can't, you know, reveal too many spoilers. I've dealt with the cat issues. We're good. It's all right. The fans like your cat and that you have a cat. And they also dig your shirt. Oh, oh wait. Here, it's a good one. <laughs> nice. It's Dinosaur Eats the Jesus Fish. Ah. It's sort uh, of a pro-evolutionary kind of a statement. There you go. Uh, oh, yes. We have the Ma- Naomi and Miller conversation, which their relationship has been an interesting development because they kind of have that belter bonding, um, but also very different kind of lives. And how she asks, are you doing this for Julie? And and how he says, like, oh, and how she points out, well, this won't get rid of the protomolecule. And you didn't tell Fred, did you? And he's like, no, it's my own mission. It was actually one of the nice surprises that we, we kind of found as we were developing the season. Because initially... We, we had felt like, oh, you know, the, the real core relationship with Miller is going to be Miller and Holden. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it, cause it kind of that, it, it's kind of in the books. But as we were writing it, we realized that there was a, a more natural, perhaps, way of connecting Miller to Naomi, and it was through Belter identification. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it became, it just, it just was one of those, that was a nice sort of things that was, you know, that kind of, that sort of listening to the story as it, as it presents itself to you is the moment where um, Naomi goes to Miller after Amos almost kills Miller and they have a, have a, have a really warm discussion and, and they finally see that, you know, they're kind of more alike than different. Mm-hmm. And then Naomi understands what Miller did with Dresden and that, you know, better than Holden and and so it, it just turned out that she became the closest person on the Rossi crew to Miller, um, just very naturally. And, uh, and and I was really I was really happy with the way that that turned out. And I thought Thomas and, and Dominique did a beautiful job with it too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I do have a question, which uh, ju- we do see a glimpse of Julie when Miller is on the uh, detonation crew boarding ship. Mm-hmm. Now. As I recall in the book, he sees her a lot, and I felt the show didn't do it as much. Uh, you want to touch upon that? Yeah, uh, I mean, it was something that we talked about a lot, and um, boy, this is a tough one to actually answer um, without getting into details of the next episode. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but suffice to say that that there were reasons for not wanting Miller to have Julie around to talk to. Okay. I think that it's one thing in a book um, to do that because you don't have to actually see it. Yes. But our feeling dramatically was that Miller had built so much and put so much um, 
put so much, you know, on on finding Julie and and getting her out of a jam, and it ends so tragically mm-hmm. at the end of episode eight of season one that to have her around and talking to him and interacting with him in the book felt like she was not dead. Ah, and, and so it 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 undercut the loss mm-hmm. um, dramatically. So when Miller in that scene and scene uh, in, uh, in episode one talks about, you know, all he's got is this picture. He tells Naomi, she, Naomi says, oh my God, you guys were together for a long time. You were in love. And he goes, no, no, we never met. It was like, <laughs> and it's so tragic that he, he just, he, he was in love. He essentially fell in love with this, mm-hmm. this woman, this noble spirit who was doing such a, such a strong thing and a good thing. And then he didn't even have the chance to actually meet her. And all he has is this, this picture and this memory. And now he's like, you know, he said, I, I catch a glimpse of her. I know she's not there. That all felt very honest. To have him talking to her and having a conversation, it just just somehow didn't feel right for, for this version of the story. Yeah, I think you, that's an excellent way to explain it because from uh, a fan who watched the show and then read the book, I thought it deepened his relationship with her because I'm like, wow, he's really obsessed with her. Um, but I hadn't thought it, of it as a sense of expressing more of his loss to not have her at all. So I think that's an excellent decision. Um, but if you guys haven't read the book, go read it because it's very entertaining and interesting how he sees her and talks to her as well. Yeah, I think he has... In, in his head, book, by the he, way. In his head. more directly obsessed um, and, and we kind of played it slightly differently, mm-hmm. um, but but I think I, I'm really very happy where you know where it ended up, and I think it has, it pays off in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it, I, I I think people will be really touched by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we jump over to the Mao and Aaron Wright talking about it, and. It's kind of like they break up, and Mao has a very kind of creepy comment, or at least I thought it was creepy. Yeah, uh, you need someone who's willing to adjust his worldviews accordingly. And that just was a little creepy of like, wait, what does that mean? Like, you're willing to change how you see the world, and it almost meant like, are you willing to change your beliefs for me? No, not for my company? All right, bye, you're done. Oop, I think we have a little delay on you i think he's just thinking very in-depthly yes <laughs> um so we just lost him guys sorry if you can hear me i'm the guy in the booth uh but we will try to get him back um so i what did you all think of that scene where mao and aaron Wright are talking and mao points out uh yeah she uh avasarala knew about phoebe avasarala knows that they're working together because she's not stupid She's um, very smart. Uh, and then his line, too, of the, yeah, adjust your worldview accordingly, which I thought that was a little disturbing. So, yeah, while we're coming back, we'll just keep going. Um, but maybe I'll ask him to touch back upon that point. And, oh, yeah, so we have, oh, the Rossi ship, as it's going towards Eros, they find out that there's Martian and UN ships in the area, which is like, Oh no, this just can't be a good idea. But I want to know is Bobby on one of those ships? So is she going to get involved with them that way? Because that would be really cool. Um, I'm on beginning of book two, and they haven't quite come together the same way. And uh, it's it's similar and different. So I do highly recommend if you've watched it, go read it. Like maybe later, 
because uh, it is very similar, but there's moments that are different, but not too much where you're just like, wait, what? Um, um, looking at you guys this is in the chat room. I love that you guys are talking. It's wonderful. Um, Andrew says, Mao's totally threatening him. Aaron Wright, yes. Um, but he knows it's going over his head. That's true. Um, and Pamela says, Mao pegged that, uh, uh Vassar, yeah, they knew they were together. Because, yes. Oh, I love her swearing. Don't you guys love her swearing? She didn't swear that much in this episode, though. Um, and then we have, oh, yes. Miller is dropped off on Eros with Diogo. And they have a time limit to place a bomb. So it's like, oh, darn. You can't just take your time. you got to hurry up and do this. And the space jumping was so amusing. Because they're like, you haven't space jumped before? You're a belter. And he's like, well, I'm kind of a city belter. And so it was another fun moment looking at Miller's uh, identity as a belter and how it's not quite the same as everybody else. Uh, and he has that poor uh, landing on the aero station and drops the explosive, but it's okay because Diogo has a spare. So that was very amusing. Um, yes. Uh, I want to say it's Laud. I'm sorry if I say it wrong, but in the chat points out, Diogo is being so cool in the series. Yes, his character is very fun in the show. I don't think his character had quite as big of a presence in the book as much or I think it was a much smaller role and I like I like the casting on that character because I like he, he seems so young uh, oh yes so we jump over the Rosie is scanning Eros and you're just like they're hearing the voices and I feel that's kind of a moment where the rest of our crew gets to hear because before Miller definitely did but they hadn't been all together and listening to the voices and they're still very um it's just a jumble of noise at this point, though. They haven't quite heard, like, specific words or phrases as much. Uh, in the book, they really go into that, and I'm curious how the show will keep it going. But at this point, they've already heard, like, phrases, but they don't really make sense. Like, it's a, like, it's, like, you've had a TV on a bad loop of hearing random blurbs that you're just like, wait, what? Shaving? Or, um, throw the baseball, and you're just like, I don't get what that means. So, it's kind of almost creepier I think how the show did a like just this jumble of noise and they're all kind of like wait what does that mean so we'll find out soon and ah yes uh okay so I love reading your guys's comments in the chat and then jumping back uh oh yes so they also find that there is a ship on arrows dun 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 I don't remember that being in the book so I did like that though because that leads up to an amazing moment with Holden, which we'll get to in just a moment. So they send a drone to check out the ship, and you're just like, mm, and it's those humanitarian guy. And I just kind of laugh, though, because he was on the TV, you know, a few episodes back, and I'm kind of like, how are they going to bring this guy back? And it's like, I'm here doing good stuff. And you're just like, oh, that's so nice. But they're not going to tell him the truth of what's going on, but they probably should be like, no, you're going to die if you stay here. Um, and then... When it jumps back to Miller and Diogo, they have that nice little conversation about, like, OPA or gangsters, but he's just trying to, like, get... Miller's just trying to give Diogo advice of... Because he's, like, this old... At this point, Miller's kind of the old grumpy man of, like, here, let me tell you my life experiences, and this is what you should be doing. And... But they kind of, you know, patch things up by the end. Ha! That's kind of a pun for later when Miller gets the part of his suit scratched and does the patch. All right. I like that pun. Uh, <laughs> then we have the, oh, yeah, so the team, they, uh, they're they trying to get the aides to leave, and they're like, maybe they'll just leave. And the Mar, I'm a, I wrote down the name, the Marasmus. 
Um, sorry if I said that wrong. I know they wrote it and then I kind of missed it. But uh, Miller finds the funky door. He's like, wait, that's been broken from the outside. And it's just like, oh, it's open a crack, which I don't know. How many of you were screaming in your seat like, oh, no, it's open. Don't go in there, Miller. Don't do it. But he opens it a crack and there's a body. And it's been infected with Hello? the blood molecule. Hey, welcome back. We only got audio, so... Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. I didn't know what happened. It's okay. Technology, eh? It's like... Mm. Oh, Skype. Ugh. It's okay. All right. <laughs> um, well, actually, okay. you've... I, yeah, we'll just jump back to where we are now. I was talking about the kind of wonderfully creepy moment where Miller has... He's on the... Arrow station, he finds the door that's been tampered with and how there's like a crack in the door and you're just like, don't go in there. And finds the body infected <laughs> by the protomolecule. And it's the humanitarian people's little uh, other employee. So they were lying yep. that they got on the ship. Uh, yep. Um, the sharp-eyed viewer will remember the uh, the doctor that they talked to on the, on the monitor, Dr. Mispleed. Mm-hmm. He was actually... He was actually giving a uh, testimony at the UN. You see him on a news report. Yes. In episode mm-hmm. when, when Miller and Holden are in the med bay, and he's talking about there's a humanitarian crisis and why isn't anybody helping? So that's the guy. Yeah, I was wondering how that character would come back, and that kind of leads into this moment we are about to get to, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Is because this part wasn't in the book. There wasn't the ship there, but. That character right. and that ship being there leads to the moment for Holden that <clears throat> they were inside, that they might be infected, and this is not in the book. So I made my prediction, not knowing anything, going, they're going to have to blow up the ship. And they did. Oh. Which, oh. <laughs> oh, no, I knew it. I'm like, hold it. They have to kill them. They can't let them leave. Uh, there's, they're probably infected. And then Holden has to make that decision. What was it like for you on that moment where you all were talking about that and executing? Oh, that's a bad pun there too. Uh, that moment. Well, well, the um, the writer of of the episode, Dan Nowak, he he felt really strongly that that this was you know the, the whole the whole angle on this particular Doctors Without Bordership mm-hmm. was is there because. In the books, they don't really have that much difficulty getting getting the whole thing done. Mm, they mm-hmm. go there, um, they plant the bombs. I mean, the, the same stuff happens with Miller. He gets stranded. He's much more overtly suicidal um, in the books than he is in, in the show. Yes. Um, but <laughs> Dan, Dan, when he was writing this, he just said, listen, there's no cost to this. There's no cost for anybody here. Mm. And, you know, that it that here's this place. We set this thing up. We're making a whole point about humans not believing Belters are, you know, uh, I mean, Earthers saying that Belters aren't human. It's like mm-hmm. what we're trying to do, what we try to do over and over again is is dimensionalize each side. Is that nobody is monolithic. It's like mm. Belters aren't unambiguously good. Earthers aren't unambiguously bad. Martians aren't ambi- unambiguously bad. There's good and bad in every single side, mm-hmm. and nobody looks upon themselves as a villain so what this came about uh, where this came about was when we get there is that Holden has to make a real choice and a real decision with real consequences Mm -hmm. to do this plan and that you know that conversation led to this moment and Dan felt really strongly um, 
that that this was important to do and you know he he uh I, you know, he, I, it was it was a really good point, and it's an incredibly strong moment because mm-hmm. it, it's basically saying, "What is the test of your your own convictions, and do you have the courage of your convictions um, to to pull that trigger?" Because if everything that you're saying is true, and those stakes are real, in this case, the answer is, "Yeah, I got to pull the trigger." And you try to do everything that you can and not to get to that point, but mm-hmm. when when you have to make the decision he does oh. and it costs him and yep. and you'll see it has ramifications later on is it because that once you make a decision of that nature it kind of forces you to a position where you have to keep moving to say i'm right i'm going to do it i'm basically not you know willing to if i'm going to pull the trigger and make that kind of choice mm-hmm. god damn it i'm going to i'm going to finish this thing and that was part of it is that we're putting the road holding on the road where we're supposed to finish this where this becomes this becomes a quest for him and he and he and, and so much of himself is wound up in it mm-hmm. um, that he's got to pursue it to the end oh and his acting that scene Steven's acting was so good of his freak out and uh, in terms of the freaking out after he did it and how upset he was that he felt he had to do it oh it was so good I just was like oh it's a, it's a, I felt so a, bad for him yeah it's a good moment. It's just like when that button, everybody is saying like, Jesus Christ, are we doing this for mm-hmm. real? And he's taking it on himself and he's got to pull the trigger. Yeah. And, and it just kind of, ha- and the moment is, it's beautifully directed. Jeff Wolno directed the episode and, uh, he, uh, you know, it's, it's just, the moment just kind of hangs there and, uh, and everybody just feels horrible. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and that's also, uh, a moment, like not even after they've had time to deal with that they learn miller has decided he has to stay on eros i mean it's not really an easy decision but it was one of those if i leave miller's thoughts if i leave this will all be for naught because somebody needs to hold their finger on the trigger on the bomb otherwise it's going to f up the plan that they've all meant spent so much effort into putting together and they're just mm-hmm. the team yep. is like even if they have issues with him they're also sad of like wait you no, you can't stay. That means you'll die. <laughs> They're like, no. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the thing—the thing that was interesting was in that moment, Naomi's really, you know, the vessel of that emotion. I think mm-hmm. again, she feels the closest to him. Mm-hmm. She's the one, you know. Holden, Holden doesn't really have—he doesn't get to really say goodbye to Miller because he's Mm-mm. so pissed at the guy, even on the docks. Um, you know when when uh, in the in episode uh, in, earlier in the episode mm-hmm. where Naomi comes up to him, it's like she's the one who crosses to him, yep. right? And and that's the first nice moment that they've had together, uh, and so she's the one who's really feeling the loss. I think most profoundly at that moment, um, you know. But you know, if you really think back to it with these guys from the moment that they met in that crazy gunfight in that hotel mm-hmm. and everything they went through, they had like one moment of like real genuine warmth, which was over the table having, you know, <laughs> Alex, uh, Alex and lasagna <laughs> talking about cheese farts. Yep. You know, that's really, that's kind of like the only really light moment. There's, there's a couple of other nice moments, but that's, that's really the warmest. And, and, um, you know, we had, what we were trying to do is, in a very compressed way, is like, 
to play this notion of the family that might have been and the crew mm. that might have been had not shit just gotten in the way really fast. Um, and and so that's where we ended up. Yeah. <clears throat> And then the biggest, almost well, kind of one of the biggest things that happened, um, Eros moved? <laughs> uh, Okami in the chat said, I haven't read the book, so I was sure Miller was going to die. Then when the Naboo missed, I was like, thank God. But I was also like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then it sounds like it worked perfectly on yeah. all fronts. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's a moment that I don't think anybody was expecting. Um, Maria, my co-host, who wasn't able to make it tonight, she's like, I think something's going to go wrong. And I was like, yeah, but I don't think she'll <laughs> expect that. Um, all right, a lot of people are talking about it, and without being too spoilery, we're going to be getting to Prax this season, right? Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, a lot of people are excited about that. Um I was going to say, you don't have to say how soon, because I feel that almost leads into storyline stuff. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to see how, to see if people kind of figure out how we're going to, mm. how we're going to connect, connect from Leviathan into Caliban's War, because, because in, in the novels, there's like an 18-month time span between those two books. Well, um, and ha- in storyline, mm-hmm. which we're not going to have in this. So I'm just I'm curious to, if people if people sense it already. I think some people have, but we'll by, see. by bringing Bobby it's, in, though, food. you kind of have. Yes, that's so. correct. Yeah, and that that was the whole that was the whole reason for it. Is that is my feeling that it gave us um, an unambiguously clear sort of statement of purpose at the beginning of the mm-hmm. season to say that the Martians are part of this story too. Yes, but it also enabled us to introduce Bobby as a character before the events in Caliban um, in a way that helped advance both her story and the larger narrative around it. Ah, very cool. Well, um, I wanted to say thank you so much for reaching out uh, both ways of Skype and phone call. It works, you know. Uh, (laughs) It's all right with the technical difficulties. We appreciated talking to you about the episode. It was really great to hear your insight into this very complex and engaging show. Well, thank you so much. It's really my pleasure, and uh, thanks to all the fans, and uh, we love reaching out and talking, so um, keep at it. And we'll, then we'll, uh, we'll give you the answers that we can. Uh-huh, yes. And then uh, if fans want to reach out to you, what's the best way to find you online? Um, I'm a little bit of a, of a social recluse online, but um, <laughs> I have a Twitter handle. It's at Noreen Shankar. I get, the only reason is, is my days are pretty full. Mm. <laughs> oh, really? I can't imagine. Um, but... but but yes, um, but you know what? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm there on Twitter, but also um, the Expanse writers mm-hmm. um, on Twitter. That's always a good way to get get me because we have a bunch of people who take a look at that. And if something comes up that um, that I can you know weigh in on or that they need me to weigh in on, I'm always available. So um, that's probably the best way. Great. Well, thank you so much, Noreen. It was wonderful talking with you, and uh, I'm definitely excited to see what's coming up for the Expanse. And do not miss episode five. It, it's really you're really it's a it's a pretty special uh, it's a pretty special hour of the show, and uh, I, I really it's it's a real treat. Mm. All right, fans, you heard it. You gotta make sure you tune in for next week. 
Well, thank you, and uh, hopefully talk to you again soon. Um, guys, you can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram if you want to continue the discussion at Carrie D. Lane. That's K-A-R-I-D-L-A-N-E. And like I said, make sure to rate the show. Give it a thumbs up, five stars on iTunes. Leave comments down below what you thought of the episode. And uh, make sure you subscribe to AfterBuzz so you can be up to date on all these awesome shows. You can also catch me on The Magician's After Show, another fun sci-fi show. Uh, Emerald City. Timeless has its finale on Monday. Time After Time is starting soon. And Box Office Breakdown, where we look at the movies that came out over the weekend. Again, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next week. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.